No credentials. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us here again at the Sound Logic Podcast. And today we're discussing album number 91 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Greatest Albums list. This is Darkness on the Edge of Town by Bruce Springsteen. One of the things I do with my uh, stay-at-home dad hours is volunteer at a free student coffee shop in State College at a church called St. Paul's United Methodist Church. Um, Keeps me uh, connected with college students, something I used to do all the time, and um, it's a lot of fun. And one day, I walked in, and people were talking about Bruce Springsteen. I thought, okay, my ears perked up because, you know, (laughs) he's, he's got a few albums on this list. And it turns out that um, my friend, Greg, who's the pastor at St. Paul's United Methodist Church, is a Bruce Springsteen fan. Um, We got to talking a little bit more and realized we both had this similar kind of journey arc with Bruce in that we grew up not really thinking much of the guy, um, perhaps because of a few of his very overplayed tracks like Born in the USA misunderstood that song to be a a patriotic ballad when it really isn't Um, and sort of later in life discovered uh, a love and appreciation for Bruce Springsteen Um, Greg was kind enough to join us this evening as we uh, do a review of this album he's fresh off uh, just a few weeks back of seeing Bruce and the E Street Band live so he's still got that kind of glow with him and he (laughs) he spent the afternoon pouring over uh, music and books and charts and graphs and uh, uh, has done way more research I think in one afternoon than Mike and I do uh, in a a general uh, month or two on the Sound Logic podcast Um, so we're really happy to have Greg here with us today Greg is um, an, another a fellow minister, but also someone who cares a lot about making faith practical, about peace and social justice issues, about being more tolerant and inclusive in faith spaces, and um, a real kindred spirit. Uh, discovering our mutual appreciation for the boss is uh, only deepened that respect and admiration. Greg, thanks so much for being here with us. <laughs> Wow, thank you. Thanks for those really kind words, Ben. I appreciate that. Um, I'm so glad to be here, guys. I uh, I do love Bruce Springsteen, and like you said, I have a similar sort of trajectory of um, coming to him later in my life, and uh, it's really been a, a, a fun journey for me of kind of uh, falling in love with his music and even just kind of being mesmerized by his his whole his whole thing, his whole story and, and, and uh, persona and maybe a quest for authenticity. But anyway, I'm excited to be here and talk about this and, yeah. uh, and share this conversation with you guys. I, I thought a good starting point would be to hear a little bit more about um, your discovery of Bruce specifically before we get to this album, because you are someone who's actually lived in New Jersey. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna share some regret about that though. So, um, yeah. I mean, like you, like you said, I I don't regret living in Jersey though. I'll be, oh, okay. I'll be clear. Um, <laughs> like you said, I I I just kind of had a very one-dimensional view of who Bruce Springsteen was based on some radio airplay and and just some yeah. like cultural, I don't know, uh, understanding. But um, uh. 
So when I was in New Jersey and everyone sort of prayed to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit and Bruce Springsteen, um, <laughs> I kind of rejected that, too. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to buy into that. You know, um, I will say that in uh, after 9-11, he in the next year, he released an album that was really aimed at sort of trying to heal some of the like the neighborhoods and, and the people that were going through some real stuff, having lost uh, first responders and people in the towers. And um, and I remember being sort of moved by that and just like, mm. oh, that's kind of cool. Like taking the position that he has to do something. But I didn't really like, I still wasn't really into the music, right? Mm. It wasn't until we moved back to Pennsylvania years later um, that my wife, Shannon, uh, was really kind of digging him and, and, and introducing me to him a little bit that I that I really started to to enjoy him. I bought her tickets to go see uh, Bruce at a show in Hershey. And uh, so I immersed myself in his music to like, just kind of get familiar with it. And that's when it was like 2014 that I really just kind of like, Oh, this guy's incredible. I wish that I had known this when I was in New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, You have a bit of a journey to this album as well, right? Uh, A few years ago, you wouldn't have said this is your favorite Bruce album, but just in the last little while, actually something has, has switched for you. Is that right? Absolutely. Well, it's because you guys asked me to, to join you here, actually. Um, <laughs> you said, uh, you, you, I think, you know, you knew that we had this thing in common and that I was yeah. pretty passionate about Bruce Springsteen and asked me to, to to come and talk about this album. And I was like, I'd love to talk about Bruce Springsteen. Darkness on the Edge of Town? Uh, I don't know. Whatever. It's okay. Um, I kind of just knew it as the album that two of my least favorite Bruce Springsteen songs were on. (laughs) Um, And I knew a bunch of the tracks, but I I guess I hadn't really ever taken much time to encounter it just as a piece, Mm -hmm. as an album in and of Mm -hmm. itself. Um, But of course I started immersing myself in it in preparation for this. And it wasn't long that I was like, Oh, hold on. I've been missing a whole thing here. And uh, I mean, I'm telling you, it is moved up to top three uh, album for me in the in the Springsteen canon for sure. Um, so that's been that's been kind of a fun little journey for me. So I, that's part of the gift you guys gave me asking me to be here. Thanks for that. That's really cool and and so recent and and I, I don't want to take away from that comment. Ben and I have encountered that on this journey so many times where something we had written off or hadn't give time to and thought, well, I guess I have to listen to it now. Well, let's go through the yeah. exercise yeah. of just doing yeah. it and then being surprised by wow. Or I missed that before. Or, yeah, yeah, that that's really cool, really really cool. Especially because you are already a Springsteen fan. To yes. find another gem there yeah. is just really awesome. It is, it is. So thanks, guys. Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely. <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, it, w- it wouldn't be. I wouldn't describe myself as appreciating Bruce Springsteen at all until we got to Born to Run on this list. And right, yeah, picking up that copy uh, and getting it on vinyl. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's really. <laughs> changed uh, a lot about about how, I, you know I've even something I never would have thought I would do is tolerate sitting through multiple hours of a Netflix uh, uh, rambling of Bruce telling his story <laughs> and playing music like that sounds painful if you're not a fan right but suddenly yeah. I'm sitting down and, and savoring it and reading his biography and all kinds of stuff so yeah it's funny how funny how those things change but we, we are here to talk about a specific album here tonight. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> should we jump into the details, Mike? Do you want yeah, to start there, or do you have more questions for Greg before we no, take well, off? Okay. No, let's do this, some details now, and then I, I do I do have some questions, but I think they'll be appropriate a little later. Um, okay. But let's let's talk about some of the details, the backdrop of this album. 
details, 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 details. Uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town was released June 2nd, 1978. Was his fourth studio album. I got that right. I thought it was, yeah, fourth studio album uh, by Bruce Springsteen. Um, he wrote all the music. Um, he's the only one credited for all the songs. Uh, charted, went to number five in the US, 14 in the UK. Um, and it was top 20 in 10 countries, including, uh, we always have to say, because I'm still living here, uh, number seven in Canada. <laughs> um, sales to date, sales numbers can be tricky to really get the real number, but somewhere around 4 million. Um, not nearly as high as a, as a Born to Run or uh, Born in the USA, I don't think, but, but still nothing to laugh at. Um, really, this is significant and and if you guys want to speak to this after I mention it, you can, because I, I don't know a lot about it, but um, this record follows a, a number of years of legal disputes that Springsteen had with him and his former manager. And uh, because of the legal case, he, he didn't record or he wasn't able to record. Um, so what he was doing the, when he was on the road, he was writing a lot. And uh, uh, we've read, we've read that, somewhere between he had somewhere between 40 and 70 songs ready to go um when it came time to record again um do you guys have anything else to add to that before i kind of move on to something else um because that's that's a pretty unique situation yeah i think it was uh it was just our on our re-rank episode mike where you were talking about taylor swift trying to like reclaim some of her back catalog um I think it was like the success of Born to Run and coming through all that and realizing he still didn't have a very much money. Like you still still kind of a struggling right. artist, kind of realize like what's going on here? Yeah. And digging into some of the books made him realize, oh, <clears throat> the structure of my contract is bad and it's basically because this one guy has stuck huh. some things by me here. Um, he goes into a lot more detail in his book uh, that is out there in, in pretty public knowledge, I think, but but kind of a painful breakup with this guy who supported him from the beginning, um, realizing that he wasn't as supportive as he he once thought. Um, do I got that right, Greg? Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. I just want to I just want to flesh it out just a bit, though, to say because sure. I think yeah. it, it's significant to note that it wasn't merely a contract dispute. So, so Bruce had signed a really bad contract with this guy. His name is uh, Mike Appel, and. Um, it, 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 Bruce wasn't seeing, you're right, Bruce wasn't seeing the money that probably he should have seen after the success of Born to Run. Mm. Um, but it was more than a contract dispute. This was a gut-wrenching sort of divorce of a deep friendship. And mm. so some of what you've got when the when the lyrics are actually written and the songs recorded on Darkness is not just a kind of like, oh, finally I get to record and write again. But it's like, there's a, there's been some real emotional mm. Uh, stuff that's been gone through and you can hear echoes of it for sure uh, in the lyrics and even in I think the the music in Bruce's sort of groaning and howling there's a pain and some of that has to do with what he went through those three years wow it was so bad that like he didn't actually own any of the music is that right like it was a there was something about the the ownership of those first three albums that was in question because of how bad yeah. the contract was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not clear on all the details. I do know that when he, he had he had talked to another friend, um, I think it was John Landau, 
who introduced him to a lawyer just to take a look at the contracts that yes. he had signed previously. And the and these lawyers looked at it and they were like, oh, this is the worst contract we've ever oh, seen. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's sad. That's heartbreaking. You know, that's too bad. Um, and it's funny because I've thought about this. We've talked about other things, Ben, different situations where it's so bittersweet as, a, as an audience member here that we benefit from the art that's created from the hardships yeah. of, of what someone's gone through personally, right? Like we go, Oh, <laughs> this it's so rich with emotion. You can hear it. You can feel it. Um, not that yeah. we say that trivially, but, but you know, we, we have it and we can enjoy, enjoy it. And we do, uh, because of what they've gone through and they've had the, the pain, um, yeah. and, and the transparency and the, and the openness yeah. to share it with us, which is an honor, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting. We hear, uh, I, I come some. Sorry, we bounce around like this, Greg, a lot. But we, I think about you know Beyonce's Lemonade, where she shares yeah. you know this this narrative of this incredibly emotional personal experience she's had, right. and and we we get to experience that that art so beautifully done. Um, anyways, wow, yeah. I, I wasn't aware too, right? Like, oh my gosh, we've got this oh, like haunting. Don't, song don't get me started. Don't get me child. started. <laughs> Right, oh. like, and it's beautiful. We like oh, you had to go through the process of giving up a child to write that song. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow, yeah. Just you just say Joni Mitchell's blue, and I've got goosebumps already. So, wow. <laughs> <laughs> guys, maybe one last piece on that. Just yeah, to, just for sure. to give context is that so the the result of all of that was so like count suits and counter lawsuits. But mm -hmm. the effect on Bruce was that he was not allowed to record. the lo The lawsuit kept him from recording. So that's a big part of the three-year delay, and the like, the prolific amount of songs that he was writing because he couldn't he couldn't go and record them. So he just kept writing. Yeah. Hmm. Now, I have something here that says that that he gave he gave some of these songs to other artists. Yeah, yeah. He had a really critical mind for like what he wanted on this album. Um, right. And and if it didn't fit sort of a, a vision, if it didn't fit like a. a temperature or a mood or a vision for for what this darkness on the edge of town was going to be like he's like nope not for this one and would pass it on to hmm. to other folks like i've i've read here he gave like you said he sold them right he must I have don't sold know. them I, I don't know this is this is pulled right from wikipedia so i don't know oh, if okay. they were sold or passed on uh yeah with permission um, right well, the biggest one is yeah. the is the um because the night song to patty smith and my understanding is they just gave that to her that's my understanding oh, wow <laughs> interesting that's cool what a cool community um yeah so really Somewhere interesting over there there's uh a couple that are listed here Southside johnny and asbury jukes i don't know who they are but passed on a couple to them um one to robert gordon and the pointer sisters uh and yeah, a, a bunch of other people. You can see the whole list in, in Wikipedia if you go there. Yeah, some stuff stuck around and wound up on future recordings, and eventually a lot of the stuff that he was um, tinkering with got released in bootlegs or official compilations of b-sides and outtakes and things like that. So I think we know a lot of the whatever it is 40 to 70 songs um by now right. but yeah but it really was sort of chiseled down to make these 10 tracks on this album here he released a bunch of them on an album called the promise 
um, which is the Darkness on the Edge of Town sessions. Oh, okay, um, okay. And uh, and it's interesting. It's an interesting listen because Ben, you were mentioning like he had a very specific vision of what he yeah. wanted on the album. And when you listen to these other tracks, you can really hear like you can hear how that didn't that didn't really fit in with the vision. Um, uh, you know, so you can kind of just kind of experience the process with them of uh, what was it that he needed for the feel of this album. I don't want to play too much of my hand right away, but I I wasn't grabbed as aggressively as Born to Run grabbed me by this one. And I think because of some of the intentional darkness of this one, it doesn't have... You can tell he's not aiming for the radio airplay hook with mm-hmm. what winds up on this album. And so I, it, that makes me want to go and listen to those, those other tracks to see if there's some remnants of... <laughs> the born to run sound that i like so much right left there or if it's sort of where he goes from here um that you find it and either way i i should really go check out the promise <laughs> our our next segment here is the is the the cover the album cover art but of course we'd love to talk about the album covers especially you know most of what we discuss is in the vinyl age so you've got this huge canvas that's on uh, look it up if you if you're not familiar with it. It's cool as you're listening to the podcast. You know, look at the image so you know. And this is um, interesting. It's a it's a full shot. You know, kind of torso up a Bruce, just front and center. Um, very classic uh, white t-shirt, black jacket, um, with some and be Venetian blinds behind <laughs> or something there. Um, and then the the font. Um, I like this font. Uh, it's like a typewriter style font. Yep. Uh, and, and the and the, the the text is in black and it's kind of faded as if it was on a typewriter. Really, really uh, interesting, uh, nice touch. Bruce Springsteen, and then underneath and slightly indented, <laughs> darkness on the edge of town. Kind of lines up with the frame of the the window frame there. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I and, expect uh, that's intentional. Each- each blind it looks like has a, a line yeah. of text on yeah it. <laughs> yeah that might have, that must have been the intention there um certainly much better uh design than some of the 90s album covers we've discussed which are just weird um but the uh, but but the font reminds me i think uh, uh many many artists i think in the 90s there's a resurgence of this typewriter font hmm. um and i mean um right off the top of my head Alanis Morissette's Jag Little Pill is that yeah. typewriter oh, kind of yeah. sprawled sprawled but you get this font a lot anyways um there there's some i don't know uh, greg do you want to do you want to talk about some of this background on this shot here i don't know first of all does do you get a lot of compliments on your descriptions of the album covers because uh, you do a fine job I oh. was like, <laughs> <laughs> well I, I, you know what i'm glad I? you i'm glad you say that greg because uh no i've never got any feedback one way or the other so sometimes i wonder like Oh man, am I just rambling? And is, if someone's just not looking at this in their head, they must have no clue what I'm talking about. So I appreciate that. I do enjoy doing it. So thank you. Good. It's like one of my favorite parts of the show, man. <laughs> wow, making my day. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. I tune in for the album cover descriptions. <laughs> well, thank you. Oh, that's that's very encouraging, actually. <laughs> well, good. Good. Wow. Uh, I mean, I think the thing um, the thing about the cover is that. Well, like Ben said, I don't want to give away too much of my hand either here, but um, 
but it, it for me, if I compare it to the previous one, uh, if you compare it to Born to Run, mm-hmm. where he's gr- grinning a, a million dollar grin and leaning on yeah. Clarence, and, and, yeah. and and he looks delighted and and everything's just just a blast and a party. And then you look at this guy. I mean, it's Bruce on the front, and he just he's got this almost faraway look in his eye. Yeah, it's, it's like he's he's chewing on something in his mind. He doesn't look necessarily mad or sad, but there's just there's some kind of depth in his face, right? Um, and it, the, the story is that this was an unknown photographer, a uh, New Jersey photographer at the time, uh, who took the pictures like in, I think in his own Jersey home, it's like everywhere in New Jersey, this wallpaper yeah, and Venetian yeah. blind, right? Um, but when Bruce finally saw the photos, um, uh, he said, he said, this guy, uh, this guy on the front of the record, that's, that's the guy my songs are about. Like, mm. that's the look I was going for. I, I really like that. He's he's you're right. He's he's got a a, a tired, worn down look um, about him. Um, yeah, it, it's so. I, I'm really glad that you you contrasted that to Born to Run because there's just this. Yeah, this this fire. He's got his guitar. He's you know. It's like this is a this is a successful performer. This this is really the the essence of a lot of Bruce's music, this is the, the working man, right? This is the, the yes. kind of beat down uh, everyday guy. Um, it, it's a really neat effect. <laughs> I don't want to read too much into it, but one of my favorite stories from his autobiography uh, is him going along the boardwalk um, in Jersey Shore and searching for the bar with the least amount of people in it and mm. telling the owner if you let my band play here, we'll bring in people. You don't have any people right now, so you need our band. Like that kind of confidence and swagger leads to Born to Run, I think. In this picture, it looks like the three years of being in court proceedings has taken a lot of that, like, I'm the mm-hmm. king kind of swagger out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, uh, he's grizzled. Like, I think Bruce has always sounded like he's 55, but <laughs> this this one especially, like he looks aged in a way that, uh, like you said, Greg, he doesn't have that, that uh, million dollar grin on. <laughs> yeah, and that persona that you're talking about, that, that really he comes to embody fully throughout his career it starts here like we think of it as okay. just bruce springsteen but yeah really this is the moment where where that begins it was not really there on born to run born to run he was just leaving town and having a good time yeah yeah greg that that makes me think about kind of a, before we get into the music there's one more thing i wanted to touch on because i think it's significant um and I, I read something today as i was preparing and i feel really ignorant that this i didn't really wasn't aware of this um the genre uh, the heartland rock, which was a phrase that until today I, I hadn't really heard. And so I, wait, what is that? Okay. So I looked into it and seeing the other artists, Tom Petty, John Mellencamp and, and Bruce Springsteen about exactly what we're talking about. The, the whole idea of heartland rock is the, the blue collar everyday American, especially in, you know, I, I would say Eastern seaboard, you know, you think about the, especially coming, through the you know post-war to probably the 80s you know in the cleveland area buffalo area yeah. jersey all these places with factories and steelworks and and you know there's a the factory song in this album too exactly. um yeah. all of a sudden i'm reading and and this is a genre that i've never researched never even heard of but makes perfect sense when i think about this album about bruce and about those other artists 
now the image on the cover and the persona makes so much sense. Um, so that's, again, just me and my ignorance and kind of just putting together another piece of puzzle. Are you guys familiar? I mean, probably you would say yes, because you've done it. Are you familiar with this idea of Heartland Rock or, or do you have any other insight on it that, that I obviously don't? I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm any sort of expert on it. I mean, I, yeah, I've heard that term associated with with the, same, the exact artist that you mentioned, okay, yeah. and, and with this album. What I what 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 genre was Born to Run called though? Was it was it it wasn't considered Heartland? No, Rock, and, no? and 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 what I, the very little that I read just today was that exactly what you said. It it really comes out of this, yeah, and then into the river, and yeah. then kind of peaks at Born in the USA, and really he's not the backbone of, but he is probably the best example of the, an artist that personifies this subgenre of heartland rock. Right. And then it really fizzles out, um, into the late eighties into more Americana, whatever, right. whatever exactly that, that is, yeah. but, but it's kind of this kind of very specific subgenre in a very specific time, you know, like late seventies, starting with really with this album and the success of this album, although it wasn't as commercially successful as born to run, it's a totally different tone as we've already discussed, yeah. totally different mm-hmm. tone. And really, I think, um, uh, it, it's inspired by, uh, Bob Dylan and others mm. in the 60s it's inspired by that but then is written for kind of a new generation 15 years later going through what it's like to be that that working class blue collar american um yeah. in this yeah and and the 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 geographic area too and, and like what we talked about kind of i think you know eastern seaboard east coast northern east coast working at factories working at that that life that so many millions of americans could relate to what that life yeah. is like and i think again not not getting ahead of ourselves but that is isn't that one of the great appeal appeals of the boss that he is he's the average american he you can relate Everyone's to the zero. stuff he talks about because we because we all do that yeah. well and i think he had a choice like he was really enamored with punk music and talks extensively about the influence that the clash and other bands had on mm. him as a young artist but I think if he had gone in the, that direction, he would have lost some of the authenticity that he's known mm. for. Um, he probably could have done that well and found a persona there, but it would have been just that. I think this pivot to this Heartland rock or, or whatever is like him just leaning into who he is mm-hmm. and all yes. those descriptive words that you that you gave there, Mike. Um, it's a really fascinating intentional choice. Uh and maybe one that was brought on by the success of, of Born to Run. Um, his first album, man, is so different. A lot of like R&B influence and like um, doesn't sound like what's on the radio today about Bruce Springsteen. He's still got that, that gravelly voice, but very, very different. Um, trying to find himself, I think, certainly. Um, the, you've got to have some confidence to say, I'm, I'm just going to be me and, and do this thing rather than I'm going to try and make something that's more radio friendly or, you know, fits with the, the vibe of the music that's on the radio at that time. Um, yeah, but late 70s, early 80s, you know, could have gone in a whole lot of different directions. Uh, we're not that far from Yacht Rock instead of uh, Heartland Rock. Man, you could have a whole different kind of Bruce Springsteen. Can you imagine? Oh, <laughs> 
and it's the same it's the same uh time frame really like yeah yeah you know you you see that in well kind of 70 i guess 76 ish um into that again is another subgenre that's a very short period of time really yeah um yeah and and yeah so so interesting i I just want to say though that it's not i then use the word authenticity i think that's really important here is you know a couple of these songs and we're going to get into a little bit of it, i guess but he's he's like actually connecting to his roots right Mm -hmm. he he Mm -hmm. born to run he kind of he was born to run he he went down thunder road (laughs) right (laughs) and and left town right um he wanted to get out but this album is a little bit of a coming home to the to the factory to the people that Mm -hmm. i mean his dad was a factory worker right this this is like a, a rootedness um and so that sort of that little attention to class uh, in America um, isn't just like a, a marketing move. It's a it's an authenticity in Bruce. Um, it mm. is something that he had wanted to do, though. Like he talks about the animals as a big influence. Mm. Um, in fact, okay. the, the riff of Badlands uh, is stolen right from uh, an animal song. He's 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 named mm. that. He's owned that a lot of times. But um, but what he loved about them was there was this like this British band, there was this like um, uh, attention to, to, to uh, writing songs about the lower class and, and injustice. Um, and there was something in him that he was like, that, we can do that. We're allowed to do that. I want to do that um, because that's my roots. That's where I come from. That's me. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's that heartland rock, right? Like it's coming out of a, a, a real person experience uh along the maybe sort of mid-america and the east coast Hmm. so what we wind up with is this uh 10 track lp very nicely balanced from a uh (laughs) timing perspective with five tracks on each side and right under that sort of 45 minute lp maximum length of 42 (laughs) 55 um it just is it's so in that sweet spot of like music is being consumed on vinyl right now uh and we're gonna fill every inch of it uh i also appreciate there's only uh one song that goes beyond five minutes uh (laughs) <laughs> a little lengthy on on racing in the yeah. street, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, they're one of one of Ben's pet peeves. So <laughs> one of my pet peeves. <laughs> uh, people who don't know when to stop their songs, and I, I will say too, like uh, uh, I don't know how you feel about the river, Greg. I own the river on vinyl too, and I've been having a hard time with that album on vinyl because it is two albums. And you got to flip it three times to listen to the whole thing. It's just a lot. And I, I find myself with these double LPs thinking like, was it, was it just that the person had reached a certain kind of celebrity where they just said, now make it a double. Uh, was there not a, an effective producer in the room saying, come on, we'll make a much better uh, single album here. If you just cut out this song or that song, save it for another time. Um, I know it's a bit tangential here to, to what we're talking about tonight. I, all that to say, I guess I like this, uh, 10 track it looks, it looks right to me in some in some sort of part of my head yeah i don't know why the river is like that and or other double albums but one thing you can tell for sure is that it's not an album in the way that darkness on the edge of town is yeah. right yes you know it's got a and lot of pieces thematically you mean like just yeah just like holding together concept? i mean to, yeah. To, to, yeah i was gonna say to me darkness on the edge of town is like a a a hair away from being a concept album. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. 
we've found that that there's a there's a fine line there you know that yeah. there's some we go man this could is it well, it might be they haven't said it is but there's there's repeating themes musically um lyrically like yeah clear it, beginning so, and an end and, yeah, and, yeah and and even if not if not a um a concept album per se you know a narrative for sure yeah absolutely I, I uh i was struck by the, the word darkness and the, and the metaphor of it and i as i was reading through the lyrics i just i didn't read this anywhere i just discovered this every track on the album uses either the words darkness or night oh except one wow. of them one of them doesn't. Fa- the, the song Factory doesn't include those words, but every other song uses those words. Many of them use them multiple times. Huh. And I was just, it was like, once I noticed it, I just couldn't unsee it. Like, it was just everywhere for me through this album. Didn't even wow. pick up on that. And, and even, it's interesting you say that, that even Factory is all about the end of the day. Yeah. Coming home yeah. at the end of the day. So you still get that <laughs> kind of <laughs> <laughs> dark, darkness closing, right. you know, right, right, sunsetting. Right. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Still fits. Um, if you're listening to this and, and thinking about where it falls in the timeline of his career, you may notice that this, the sound, the production value has shifted here too. Um, there's A lot has been written about the challenges of breaking with your manager and then jumping into the studio and trying to make it up because you're sort of starting over <laughs> again. Uh, I guess... Um, his guitar player, uh, Stephen Van Zant, uh, infamously thinks this was poorly produced. That that oh. these are some of Bruce's best songs, but the production was just not right, and they just oh, never got the final sound that they were going for. I think he really wanted it to sound like a garage band. I think I read that somewhere this week. Um, but uh, there. The person who'd put most of the time into it, like, burnt out near the end, and they had to bring in someone else, caused a delay in it being released. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's it's fascinating. This rebirth, this new life also comes with, uh, you know, struggle to make it make it all sound right, too. Um, and, and I think leads to some of the grittiness and the darkness. Uh, actually, I like how it sounds, <laughs> despite uh, Stevie's... Uh, qualms with it, I guess. <laughs> I do too. I love the way it sounds. I think it, it it's, you know, again, to contrast with Born to Run, you had that wall of sound on mm-hmm. Born to Run mm-hmm. um, where it was just trying to be this giant sound. Uh, but this album feels like I can hear the, each of the instruments. Um, and I know that they were meticulous in the studio trying to get it right. What I, I know, mm-hmm. I know maybe, maybe, uh, Stevie didn't, didn't love it. Um, but Bruce had a real vision of what he wanted. In fact, I was thinking of yeah. you, Mike, because, um, I, I, there's been some conversations on your, on your show about the sound of the snare drum, maybe particularly in the seventies. <laughs> and, um, and I don't know if you appreciate the snare drum sound here or not, but, but there's a story. In fact, there's this scene, there's a, they made a, a DVD or a, a documentary, uh, called the promise as well where they there's some footage from the re- recording of this album and uh there's this scene where max uh weinberg the drummer is is hitting the snare drum just repeatedly and bruce does not like the sound because oh. he says he can hear the stick hitting the drum like he can it sounds like the stick right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and he's yelling every time he hits it he yells stick stick 
stick and like over and over and over and it and and i think i've i've read where max talks about like they would do this for like days like they just couldn't get the sound right i thought you would appreciate that that story i i I really do and uh thank you for (laughs) acknowledging my plight with this i don't know what it is but but there's this kind of no they don't use that that sound that i referred to kind of a kind of very i don't know what it is i wish we had a drum tech or somebody could kind of describe what's happening to me that that i just don't prefer but this is a very organic mm-hmm. um kind of crack um that that i prefer personally um as to put this kind of the if you listen to i think one of the best ones one of the earliest ones i think like if you listen to dark side of the moon i love that album it's one of my favorites However, that is that sound, like that very produced kind of almost like it. It's almost like it's got a. They've put a. They played with the amplitude of of each. Like I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is technically, but um, it's yeah that kind of sound. But no, that's not here. It's, and, and it fits very well with with the the whole feel of it. Um, as being you guys the words you guys mentioned gritty raw organic, um, yeah yeah I, I love it. Love it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One thing that I've always um, been struck by in the E Street Band is their proficiency as musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, for as big of a sound as they create, they're also really all in line and doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's funny to me to hear the guitarist say he longs for a garage band sound because I don't think that proficiency that Bruce is known for that. Like, I have this vision in my head. We're trying to recreate this very specific thing. I don't think about that when I think about garage bands. I think about like crunching <laughs> guitars and, yeah. and like slightly off key or out of tune instruments. Um, so to, to have two people sort of at the mixing board longing for what in my head sounds like contrasting um, final results, uh, I, I, I'm not surprised that it was a struggle to get it finally finalized too. If you had that that tension in the mix as well, there is more guitar here though, as just like a feature, yeah. than there was in Born to Run, and less piano. Yeah, I would say so. Just less. Inst- I mean, there's only three sax solos on the whole album. Yeah, I felt like there were more guitar solos. Is that is that what you're getting at, Greg? It is. It is. Yeah, and and, and other. I think other guitar i'll say riffs you know like not solos but riffs like yeah it's more guitar heavy carrying the song and and going back to born to run you know that that big opening of the album thunder road with the piano coming in Mm -hmm. and really taking center stage i think it sets the tone that the piano is going to be center stage a few times and opening a few tracks Mm -hmm. we don't really get that here at all um I think there are some keys at the opening of, of Badlands, but it's it's blended in with everything else. So you kind of get the sense that this is going to be more of a of a band kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, for sure uh, on the guitar, and then some some absolutely killer 
uh, licks on the guitar. Like the, the solos yeah. are pretty awesome. I assume that's little Stevie. Like I don't, th- does the, does Bruce play those solos? Bruce plays a good bit of those solos. Actually. Oh, he does, I mean, eh? Okay. Yeah. This is, this is an album where he kind of, people recognize, oh, this guy can play the guitar. I mean, he okay. was known in Jersey as like one of the best guitar players yeah. uh, around, okay. but he hadn't really shown that in the other albums as much. And it really came out on this, on this album. Hmm. Cool. I, I, I don't know uh, Bruce or Little Stevie as guitar players enough to be able to tell who who was doing what, and I didn't dig into it quite that much. So I was, which was kind of cool because I was like, that could be either one, and they're they're both yeah. awesome, like just just really yeah. cool, really yeah. and and unique solos, like not a straight up uh, blues solo or you know a straight up pattern or square, like just really just innovative uh, yeah. soloing, really really good, really liked it. We've talked in generals a lot. Do you yes. want to talk about which tracks stand out to us on on this album? I, I want to. Uh, yes, I do. To answer your question, <laughs> yes, Ben. Yes, I do. I I would like to. I would like to start, and I'll tell you why. Not because I want to be first, but because I feel like you guys have expressed just a real passion for for this album and for. Uh, Bruce's music more than I have so I, I want you guys to round it out and and I'm really interested um, Ben I, I know from from doing this and and from doing our you know if you listened to our episode last week was our re-rank and we do like our top 10 and still Born to Run is 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 one of your top 10 albums that we've reviewed thus far after 90 albums and, and it's never really been on my top 10 um, I want to say about this album in general uh, I liked it personally a lot more than Born to Run, um, and this is from a, and this is from a guy um, that I've I've never really done a deep dive into his music. Um, I liked Born to Run, you know Ben when we did it. I've come back to it a few times and and it's it's fine, um, but it never really grabbed me. I listened to this and even the first time I was like, ooh, oh what's this, you know and. There's there's a bit of a pull. Badlands is like kind of a, a strong starter, and then there's and then it goes up and down like you mentioned before. Really good balance to you know racing in the street, just like this gorgeous, quiet, gentle ballad uh, full of emotion. Um, I just found very taken by it. I felt the emotion. Um, I liked the the melodies very much. I liked the lyrics. Um, I liked the sounds. Um, it, it was it was a great listen, and I've enjoyed it far more than Born to Run, um, which I I really didn't expect because, like you guys have said in your your younger selves, not ever really getting Bruce until later, and I feel like I'm still kind of there in that stage. I'm slowly entering that middle age that middle age era of of manhood where I I become a hardcore Bruce fan but but I'm not there yet guys I'm I'm come I'll I'll join you soon but um in general I really really like the songs and and I think to me if we're talking about specific songs Badlands and Adam Rains the Kane are very hard biting tracks that really I think grabbed me to got my attention to really pay attention to this album this is and i'm talking about the first time the first listen mm-hmm. um because to me that's important if i don't like an album the first time it can really make it hard for me to to enjoy it again so i just wanted to kind of give an overview because i, I want you guys to talk more than me 
<laughs> uh, for the rest of this. But um, that that's kind of me. But um, I don't know. Either one of you can go next. But I guess the question would be, what is it about this album? And choose something specific, if you would, because you're right, Ben. We've talked. In, what some, Give us some specific examples on this album that made you... Um, really want to really enjoy it or in your case Greg you know it went from one of your least favorites to your top three well maybe we, we need to go in descending order of uh, Bruce appreciation I, I still have very <laughs> limited uh, uh, I don't know experience with with Bruce Springsteen like I, I've, I've gotten really into um, Born to Run I've definitely listened to the river a number of times and I've listened to this one, but that's kind of it. I, I don't know if it's preservation. I know that we've still got a number of his albums to tackle on this list and I don't want <laughs> right. to jump too far ahead. Hmm. Um, uh, I've been told based on conversations I've had with other people about what I enjoy about Bruce, that Nebraska is probably going to be in my sweet spot whenever I get to Nebraska. Um, okay. <laughs> but this one, has not, as I mentioned earlier, has not grabbed me in the same way as Born to Run. I And I think it is the darkness. I appreciate the authenticity, um, but I find myself longing for some, so, something a bit poppier. <laughs> and I, I, okay. I feel a little embarrassed to say that, uh, but that's the way I think I lean. I, I lean a bit more Stevie wonder than, uh, the doors in, in our, in our journey so far. And, uh, <laughs> I and like I'm, that. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so this one is, I'm still trying to figure out what I think about it. I, there's some tracks that I really, really like, and it's interesting, Greg, I think you listed candy's room as one of your least favorite Bruce Springsteen tracks. Cause that one pulls me in, in a way, I don't know if it's just the like pulsing, um, you know, drum repetition that it begins with, and the and it does have that like underlying piano. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's it's got a bit of uh, born to run in it. Um, it also has a darkness and uh, some kind of maybe twisted male female relationship stuff going on in there too. Um, but but that's the one that that stands out to me is like oh, there's something complicated and complex here about this darkness that makes me want to know more. Can Candy's Room is the one that kind of makes me think, oh, I actually maybe do like this more than I think, and I bet if I spent a little bit more time with it, uh, it'd probably be pretty high up there on my list of, of these albums too. So, I don't know, that's a, it's a good table setter for you there. Um, Mike and I are on bass, Greg, bring us home. Uh, whatever you want to do. <laughs> Oh man, there's so much I want to say, um, but I think I think you you touched a nerve with it, with it being complicated and complex. I think that's part of what is drawing me into it. Yeah. So so yeah. I mentioned that just I didn't listen to it as an album. Like when I first was listening to Springsteen, I basically just put on like Spotify, like all the albums and sure. on shuffle, yeah. you know. And I'm, I like several of the tracks here, but to sit down and listen to it as an album I wouldn't even have done because I did not like um, Candy's Room and I also didn't care for Adam Raised a Cane. Right. Uh, there was just something in the way Bruce sounded, like he sounds angry or something mm -hmm. and I I just wasn't drawn to that sort of musically, right? Just just uh, just listening to it casually. Um, but I like, I mean, Promised Land is so good, Badlands is so good. Um, 
uh, I think Darkness on the Edge of Town. I love the sound of Factory. The sound of many of these songs, it really appeals to me. Um, but when I sat down and really just started savoring it, mm. you know, it's a difference between like chugging down a, a gas station coffee and or, or sitting with like a, a carefully crafted cup of coffee and enjoying it. Mm. When I did that, um, the complexity and the uh, what I want to say are like the juxtapositions here of some of some of the lyrics are just dark, like this guy's lost everything. This guy's given up everything that people are going to take everything away from you. Like it's, it's, and then sometimes in the same song, he's got this, like, he's got this, like, but I believe in faith and I believe in hope and I believe in love. He says that in one in Badlands, he uses the, that exact language from, from first Corinthians 13. Um, he, he, uh, he, he talks about standing on the hill and fighting, you know, he's not going to yeah. give up. Um, there's this like, even in the song, like Adam raised a cane, like it, it, is it is it deterministic? Like I'm I'm gonna just become what everyone has been before me? No, there's this feel of like I have a choice to become something different than what I was given, and um, that feels so hopeful. So there's this like tension mm. that's complex and challenging and demands a lot of the listener. I think that really draws me in here and and Candy's room. Um, it doesn't for me, I, I, Ben. I appreciated what you said about it because that that opened that up a little bit more for me. But for the most mm. part, I've just heard Candy's room is well. First of all, I don't like the drumming that you're talking about. Those uh, <laughs> those sixteenth notes uh, on the on the snare that go on forever. I'm just like somebody, please stop that. Um, <laughs> That's Max on his jazz kit. <laughs> I also, it's right. I also don't like Bruce's weird whispering at the beginning, but hey, that's just me. Oh yeah, um, that, that part is a little weird. <laughs> um, but but I do think it's complex. Like if you actually read the lyrics, yeah. you kind of have to think like, what's going on here, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. it does draw you into so, sort of um, a deeper story. I, I want to say a word about "Prove It All Night" too. So you know, "Prove It All Night" was actually the first single from the album. Um, we, we didn't talk about this, but the singles from this album were total flops, like nothing charted very well at all. Hmm. Um, the album did better, but the singles were awful. And that actually kind of speaks to the album, doesn't it? Like it's more of an album than it is a a, a hit producer. Right. Yeah. Um, but this was the, uh, prove it all night was the, the first single and I've never really loved it because when I hear Bruce singing, prove it all night over and over, I've had a hard time, like getting past the idea that it just sounds like a a sort of macho song of like, you know, I don't know. I'll prove how, how manly I am all night long or whatever. Like, right. Yeah. Yuck. I don't need that. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I, I have to give a shout out to my friend, uh, Matt here who, uh, who he and I met for breakfast last week and talked through all these songs. He's a huge Bruce, Bruce Springsteen fan. So, uh, he helped me out a little bit here. Um, you know, thinking about night more as a metaphor that of this thing that Bruce is going through, and what is it exactly that he's trying to prove? Um, and there's this anecdote that I wanted to share as part of this conversation. Maybe you guys have heard it, but um, you know, he, he, Bruce didn't want to promote this album at all. He actually told the record company no, no promotion, no oh, advertising. Um, and of course, they didn't agree to that. <laughs> um, but they did scale it way back from Born to Run. But it was selling so poorly that eventually they came back and said, it's not working. We have to we have to advertise more and you need to do some press. Um, and one of the things they did is he had a show coming up in L.A. at the Forum. And so they put this big billboard up 
um, over the Sunset Strip with a big picture of his face. It's from the album cover, his face, and it said, Bruce Springsteen, Darkness on the Edge of Town. And sometime that summer in 1978, he and Clarence and uh, I think Gary Talent, the bass player, saw this when they were in L.A. They saw this billboard and they were like, they hated it. They hated it. <laughs> and so Bruce led a charge. They climbed up some tower with spray paint and um, and they they defaced this this uh, this billboard. One of the things they did is they wrote Bruce himself wrote E Street Band on it because he felt like that's not right. It shouldn't just say Bruce Springsteen. I think okay. that's a really cool thing for him to do. But the reason I bring this story up now is that they in huge letters across the whole thing, what they wrote was prove it all night. And I think that's an interesting mm-hmm. choice. And I think what it's saying is like, don't trust the billboard. Like, don't trust the machine. Don't trust the pop glitter and glamour and the success that the record company wants me to be. Trust my authenticity. Come and see for yourself. I'll prove it. Um, that this is authentic to me, not some record company shtick. And I just, that to me really speaks uh, to like the, the authenticity that Bruce is after here. And that song, Prove It All Night, took on a whole new meaning for me when I started thinking wow. about it. Yeah. Hmm. I love, I thank you. Thanks for that insight on that, Greg. I love that a lot. That's really great. <laughs> he has a story about his first trip to Europe or London or something, right? Where his like face was plastered all over town in a sort of yeah. celebrity way that he just like, couldn't perform. He was so bothered by the way they had tried to sell him before he even arrived there. And um, partially because he felt like, I haven't been here to show you who I am yet, so don't don't put my face up all over town uh, thinking you know me because I haven't been here yeah. yet. And because uh, I haven't proven I it, he hasn't proven it. I haven't yet. proven it yet. Uh, it seems like a parallel there to the banner in LA. That's that's really fascinating. You know, we didn't talk about the fact that um, Elvis died. His hero died in this interim period too. And oh. um, seventy-eight, and, right? Uh, 77 Elvis died in August of 77 and um, and you know what Elvis had become at the end of his career and I think Bruce was terrified that Mm. the celebrity was going to make him become what Elvis had become make him Mm. lose all of his authenticity and become a puppet of himself or a puppet for the music industry or whatever and I think that that's an underlying uh, part of the narrative that I think is important to recognize here. This is like why it's so important for him to stand on the hill and fight. Cause he's just like, yeah. you're not going to take my authenticity away from me. Hmm. And coming out of, wow. you're not going to take my first three albums from me in this way. Yeah. Too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Legal, right. Yeah. legal proceedings too. Hmm. Huh. Wow. I, um, sometimes, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. Sometimes I forget because I wasn't around yet uh, about the the impact that Elvis's death had on so many people in general, but also um, uh, artists in particular. Like what a huge impact his life had, and when all of a sudden he was gone um, too soon. Even though, yes, his career had and his his person <laughs> had really had really changed and kind of dissipated. Um, how that rocked so many people and how that affected so many people because uh i i didn't experience that yeah i haven't experienced that really with with anyone you know in that way from start to finish you know maybe 
I mean, in Canada, we we lost a, a, a treasure in Gord Downey, the lead singer of The Tragically Hip, a few years ago. And that was probably the closest we would come to, you know, an artist that we grew up with um, mm-hmm. that was, I mean, in this case, still making music and still making waves uh, politically, socially in our country. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, was gone. Mm-hmm. And there was such a lead up because we knew he was sick. So, um, right. Uh, but Elvis, I, I, I missed that. So I think that just adds to the whole gamut of emotions that he is conveying in this collection of songs, this story he's telling. I hadn't even considered that. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Wow. The trajectory of his career at this point, I'm, I'm forgetting how we get from a darker album that doesn't sell very well to some of the meteoric things that come later. Is this a, a case of him saying this dark period of my life is closing with this album and I'm going <laughs> to step forward now and these next projects in a different kind of, kind of tone. Some people find their voice in the darkness and just stay there. <laughs> and right. he didn't really. I mean, you could you could still see, hear some of this in his in the music that came later, but was there a chapter closing here too? Yeah, I mean, I think to a degree the sort of standing on the hill and fighting for, you know, some of the control and the and the integrity kind of piece. It, it was this this is like he made that decision. You know what yeah. I mean? He didn't have to make it as in some ways he didn't have to make it again, at least not in the same way. Um, and yet there is a sort of pendulum swing. So so you get the river next, which which um, has some of the the cutting room floor songs from this era, but also some other stuff. And it's it's got it's got a lot of happier tunes on it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, sort of a mix. And then the the, the next thing after that is is. Uh, the album you mentioned nebraska Nebraska, which is a huge pendulum swing back towards like not what the not what the radio wants at all at all Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, followed by born born in the usa which is his biggest exactly exactly so so i don't know that that the darkness stays with him however i think what he's learned in the darkness and that sort of like i'm gonna pay attention to my roots and i'm gonna sing for the people the real people uh, who come to see me play. Um, and I want to connect with them. That's always yeah. what he's wants to do. He always wanted to connect with real people. Um, mm. I think he brought that and that has stayed with him all through his career, whether he's singing something fun on, on born in the USA or something darker on like Tom Joad or something like that. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, he, he's learned from this experience. Hmm. It reminds me of, uh, one of Mike's favorites, John Mayer and his, uh, like, I need to write a few versions of your body as a wonderland so that I can make the artsy uh, concept album next time. Yeah. that doesn't sell any copies at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> gotta just keep swinging back and forth between those two places. Uh, right. Right. I don't, I don't know that Bruce has ever said that, but yeah. Well, like, like Beck, um, Beck is, yeah. is, is known for that. He will do Odile, which was huge and poppy and fun. And then he did, he did uh, mutations it was like, whew you know way down and then we come then we have then we have uh midnight vultures and then we have sea change and he just keeps doing that until finally he gets to um uh morning phase which is that kind of softer but it wins him album of the year so it was kind of like he'll he'll do he'll do he knows how to write the hit 
yeah. but then he'll do an album of quote the, the music he wants to make that might not sell yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i hear you on that mm. I, th- I think there's a lot of artists who have done that interesting another thing that i think is really important for me here uh, and you is you know you mentioned that I'm a pastor, so I, I can't help but hear like elements of faith in this album. <laughs> pretty strong. I mentioned that he says faith, hope, and love in in Badlands, mm-hmm. um, but uh, there's a lot of hope throughout here. Of course, Adam raised a cane is a, is biblical imagery. Actually, he starts the song off talking about remembering his baptism, which I think mm-hmm. is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and then I think it's racing in the street. Um, ends with he says he, he needs to wash the sins off of their hands so that feels like a kind of baptism like as well um i just yeah. think there's something really neat there and then and then this whole theme of darkness in in general i was watching his um he did a storytellers a vh1 storytellers episode and uh he was singing uh another one of his songs um called jesus was an only son and as he's talking about the song he says, Jesus was an only son as he walked up Calvary Hill. And then, and then Bruce says, that's his proving ground. That's his darkness on the edge of town. And I, <laughs> I found that to be a really interesting way for Bruce to use his own album title. He's like telling you what he meant oh, by it. Right. And, um, and I, and I, I often, I, I had referred to this album as a kind of Holy Saturday album. Like it's in between, right? Like hmm. it's, it's sort of that, like, the bad stuff has happened and good stuff is on the way. And we're just in this liminal sort of space in between. Um, yeah. That kind of feels like the darkness on the edge of town. Hmm. That's interesting. There's something about what you said earlier, Mike, and the authenticity of lemonade and blue um, that requires you to pause in those liminal spaces, right, Greg? Like that you don't just quickly move to the next pop hit, but you spend some time dwelling there, savoring that. And I I don't know, I can't quite put my finger on why there's a need there, but maybe it is just about like not, not always pretending like, like everything is fine or everything is perfect. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's more, more to chew on. Dang it. Just having a lot of uh, deep, (laughs) thoughtful, uh, pastoral journey here through darkness on the edge of town tonight (laughs) i have a question for you guys um i note i noticed that it had previously been at number 150 on the rolling stone list and for like every time and then it was 91 like what happened well we see we see a big shift in um the published list of the voters who voted for these albums and Ben has the, the coffee table book from the original 2003 list, which was the first okay. list. And, and it, it goes through all the voters and it's, it's very steeped in people who grew up in the sixties and seventies, a lot of journalists, a lot of um, music critics a lot of people in the industry, mostly white men of a certain age, <laughs> um, uh, very few women, very few people who are not white. And um, that's where you get that real foundation of that kind of 60s and 70s rock and folk rock in that first list. The second list really doesn't change much because the the 2012 list was basically a merging of the 500 
and their greatest of that decade, the the 2000, the aught decade, if you will. Mm-hmm. When we move to the 2020 list, they pull a whole new group of people, people who were, you know, some of them barely out of diapers in 2003. Um, <laughs> uh, more women, more younger artists, more people of color, you know, like... Um, so you you get this shift on what's significant to people in in their in their formative years and 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 even in their songwriting years you get like some very yeah. well-known artists who voted and it's like okay who influenced them in like their first few albums now they're in album number you know 8 of a very successful career so i think that's a big part of it and as we move through ahead in time and more people maybe now in their 40s and 50s who this would have affected them more maybe than born to run because i think it caught as we talked about the beginning of you know heartland rock the beginning of coming into the 80s i think born to run is maybe catching people who were Mm -hmm. kind of at a different does that does that make sense at all that's my take on it anyways and and i think we saw some we saw some bands where they had albums flip so yeah like we saw even with the Beatles where um, um, Sergeant Peppers was like number one and it drops over 20 spots yet uh, revolver shoots way up or we saw it with right. other yeah. where like some go down and some go up. And I think, I mean, every generation is going to have resonance with different things, but we're, we, I think that's what it comes down to. It's the resonance, how it resonates with these, this brand new, I mean, it's almost two decades removed these two, the f- twenty. 2003 and the 2020 right 17 years so um that would be my un unofficial unauthorized opinion on on why there's that shift if we skip ahead to um any other albums for this artist in the top 500 you can see this interesting trend here born to born to run maybe we'll set aside because it stayed right around 20 for the different iterations but but darkness kind of flipped places with born in the usa so we're Mm -hmm. valuing kind of authenticity over over pop hits Mm -hmm. um and nebraska takes a big a big jump up again uh, uh maybe a more authentic transparent um artsy album jumps up 100 spots uh maybe not quite 100 but in that ballpark and uh and the river falls off completely. Another sort of chart-topping yeah. uh, album of his, of his. So, yeah, I, I wonder too about you know the the voting for this list happened as the pandemic was hitting us. <laughs> A lot of people bored at home trying to figure out what really is important to us as well. And um, and, and I I think there's something about the the different. Um, demographics of the voters this time that that said we are going to prioritize um music that made a difference and not just music that was popular and okay yeah if you've listened before you know that uh we have a a playlist spotify playlist Mm -hmm. um and uh greg i don't know if you've been anticipating this or dreading this um but when we have a guest we really like to to turn to our guests <laughs> and ask them to pick <laughs> what songs will go on so if if you would to put you on the spot if you could pick two songs uh either your favorites or two that you would would represent this album you know what what two tracks would you would you have us put on that list from this album i 
have been sort of wavering on what I, I knew I was going to have to be asked this question and uh, I've, been, I've been losing sleep about it. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think I got to go with, uh, I'm definitely going to go with Badlands. Okay. Uh, it's, the, it's just as the opening track, I feel like it's a, a sort of a announcement that, mm-hmm. you know, we're in a whole new place. This is a whole new Bruce Springsteen. He sounds different. The music sounds different. The lyrics right from the beginning tell you you're not in New Jersey anymore. Um, And it just represents this like huge pivot point. So I think you got to have that. Plus it just rocks. Um, And (laughs) then um, I was going to go with um, maybe the promised land or darkness on the edge of town, which is the last track. Uh, but I think after I've been really thinking about this this whole prove it all night thing, and that he and that he that he defaced this billboard with this, that it meant that much to him to say like I'm trying to prove who I really am, uh, and prove my chops and, and my authenticity apart from all the other stuff. I think that really encapsulates for me the spirit of this album, and so I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna pick uh, prove it all night as the other, which was the first single, so I think it makes sense there too. <laughs> I like those choices, and they're now uh, entrenched on that playlist for all time. Oh, good! Uh, I can sleep. I can sleep yeah. again now, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can sleep again now. <laughs> I, I, I love. I want to comment on on "Prove It All Night," and and I know you talked about it a bit. Um, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but uh, it it really grabbed, despite it being a little repetitive at times. Um, with him repeating that phrase over and over, it it is so catchy and so good. I. Um, this thing that Bruce does, these harmonies that he, um, you know, record like it's it's him harmonizing with himself, obviously in the studio. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's his voice backing his own voice up, but uh, it it's a great sound. Like it's, I've heard it both ways. I've heard it where you hear somebody harmonize himself and it just doesn't work. You hear it with someone else and it sounds great. Uh, he his he's done it very well. So I really like that, and um, it's a very, if there's a quintessential Bruce Springsteen sound, that's, it's in that sweet spot uh, for yeah. me. It's nice. I love that. It's really cool because we talked about, um, you know, this this starting kind of a, a little subgenre, and then that subgenre kind of phasing out. And of course, as all artists, you know, you move through different eras and you move through different spaces. Uh, so that really is a good backdrop to this question. And, and we like to ask, you know, uh, this album's now, you know, getting close to 50 years old, you know, uh, 45 years old. What has aged well? What hasn't? How has it stood the test of time? Um, ben, you want to weigh in first on that? Boy, this feels awfully similar to um, talking about Neil Young just uh, on our last album review, but I feel like Bruce has never really sounded like his peers. Um, hmm. You know, maybe if maybe a few that you mentioned in this subgenre have some similar overtones, but no one can really match his his no. voice or the the combined sound of of E Street Band, and mm. so it feels a little bit strange to to talk about whether it's held up because. It's still around. It's still, still plugging away. It's still sounding pretty much like this. Um, but again, not like anyone else who's who's touring right now. Um, so, boy, this is a I'm finding this question tougher tonight than I usually do, um, because uh, yeah, I, I 
I'd be surprised if someone came out with Darkness on the Edge of Town today and it did well, but it didn't really do well when it came out uh, a long time ago either. So true. <laughs> uh, perhaps it's aged just as it was supposed to in, in that it is <laughs> a, uh, a beloved album by fans still speaking what it's meant to speak today. And um yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is a default we use too often, but but Jason Crane reminding us that, you know, if the instrumentation is what's still being used to make music, it's it's not aging. Um, uh, we're still making songs with guitar, bass, drums, and maybe a little less saxophone and harmonica these days, but still <laughs> rock and roll being made like this. I was thinking a lot about this because so, sometimes you guys have used the word relevance. You know, is it relevant? And um mm-hmm. I was really struggling with that, with that, what that means for a, a rock album from 1978, yeah. Yeah. right? <laughs> and um, I was thinking about the fact that uh, I mean, it's not getting a lot of airtime or anything. Kids aren't kids yeah. aren't you know right. jamming this on Spotify very much. Um, but uh, however, that we hearing, know of that we know of maybe the yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah. um, I was thinking though, Ben Ben might know this that here in uh, where we live in 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 State College, what we call Happy Valley, um, I don't know why it is, but every you know we get a hundred thousand people crammed into a stadium for a home football game, and every home football game they play Badlands. Really. Yeah. I'm obviously oh. not a big enough Penn State football fan to know that. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Alongside, you know, a bunch of hip hop stuff that's just from the last couple of years and, and, and some other oldies as well. Like they, there's some other songs in there, but, but Badlands is always on the playlist and I don't know why, but I just find that really fascinating. Hmm. Um, but anyway, that's maybe neither here nor there, but it is interesting. I think yeah. for me, for me, it's like the themes are still really relevant. Yes. Um, in particular, I've been, you've heard me really kind of focus in on authenticity and you know, where we're in this world right now, where, where people are just like curating a a version of themselves that they want everyone to see, um, and really carefully trying to do that. Um, and a sort of pendulum swing to like, to like be real, you know, like where, where it's like, no, no, just, just show up the way you are. I feel like this album has something to say to us in that sort of tension, um, about really kind of fighting for your integrity and your authenticity and and who you are and your roots and where you came from and all of that. And I just, so I think the themes are really relevant. Um, and I, and I also just wanted to add too that, um, there, if you're a Springsteen fan, this album remains very relevant. Uh, so <laughs> he continues to play a bunch of these songs regularly. Um, oh, interesting. Like okay. In the top five most played Springsteen songs in concerts, two of them are from this album. Wow. Um, and that's a huge catalog. He's got a ton of songs, right? Um, so it's like really important in the, in the Springsteen canon, for sure. All right, Mike. Clean up hitter here. <laughs> um. Okay, sonically, uh, the kind of um, snare drum. Uh, no, <laughs> snare, snare drum's good. It's, it, it's all right. Uh, the the very out front loud uh, with a little reverb saxophone solo is not something that we do much anymore in music. So that right. And and you, Ben, you know I'm I'm a saxophone player, so or at least I was at one point. Um, uh, 
No disrespect I love, to Clarence. I love uh, Clarence Clemens is 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 a is a god in in the in the rock world. Um, no offense at all. His his solos are awesome. That sound just isn't used as much anymore. So that's gonna that's gonna stick it uh, firmly in a certain era or a pretty big era, but we just don't do that as much in, in music anymore. So, so that's one thing that I noticed right away. Um, the guitar sounds, the, the, the pian- even the harmonica, I mean, there's a lot of in- folk rock, indie rock today that are back that's to true. those yeah, acoustics. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I don't mind that. Um, the piano, so there's a bit of organ almost. And as we move into some of the other, even into the river, a little, almost like a Zydeco sound in some of this, um, that, that again has its place in different music. So a lot of it, um, a lot of it is still found in now, maybe not on, you know, pop hit radio or there's, uh, there's no vocoder, so we don't have that, but, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think there's a lot here. Uh, I will say, and you're right, Ben, when we talked about Neil Young, it, no one's ever going to sound like the boss. So that's going to, that just kind of, we take that out of the equation because that's, he's just always going to be Bruce and there's nobody like him. Um, you're going to know it's him from the first time he opens his mouth on the track. So that doesn't really age because he, he's timeless in that sense. So I think it does pretty well. And I think, yeah, they're going to play this. They're going to play, I mean, Bruce Springsteen in general is still, he's still in the media. He's still touring as, as we know, from personal experience, Greg, from just Great. a few weeks ago. Um, he's still very much a relevant artist um, and a relevant uh, cultural figure. So I think uh, because of all that, it, it does quite well. I think it stands up quite well. And I think, you know, even if we think about his catalog, like Born in the USA played all the time, Born to Run played all the time, you know, so to play Badlands at a, at a football game, I think it fits. So, yeah, no, I think it does well. Um, better, I'll say, better than I thought. When, when I, <laughs> when I, I'm going to push play on, ah, here's another Bruce album. Let's see what happens. Um, and even I was like, oh, oh, wow. This is, no, this is, this is good. So, cool. Yeah aged pretty well just like bruce i think bruce <laughs> yeah, about it man he boy he i think he looks better now than, than some of his some of his other That's older uh, younger pictures yeah he's uh he's definitely taking care of himself i don't want to get another like sidetrack they say that thing about that teenagers sometimes need to grow into their bodies and like i, I feel like he's grown into his voice like it now feels <laughs> yeah like he's yeah. At the point where his voice is supposed to sound. <laughs> well, I said that when we did Born to Run, I was like, yeah. Ben, he's like 26 yeah, when right, he does yeah. Born to Run. He sounds like he's 55 <laughs> and not just the sound quality of his voice, but the lyrical content. It's right, like... Right, right. Chiseled, grizzled. Yeah. Who, who is this guy who is ex, who is right. writing about these experiences and this this kind of whole persona that like, it just way ahead of his time. Yeah. Um Wow, great! That was that was a good segment. I like that. Um, <laughs> that went well. <laughs> um, so let's talk. We we've already. I, I like actually that we already talked about some of his other albums um, because we'll talk about the ranking here. So this was one fifty on uh, on every let's say one fifty on every previous version of this list. Now jumps up uh, sixty spots to ninety one. Um, so 
Greg, this can be a, a hard question to answer if you're not as uh, living and breathing this list as as Ben and I are uh, week to week, day to day. But um, what do you think about the ranking? This is the 90, 91st greatest album of all time. <laughs> how, how, do, how do you just a knee jerk reaction? How what what does that make you feel? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I feel like it should be higher, but I mean, that's, okay. you know, through, through my, through my Springsteen glasses. <laughs> right. Um, I guess I don't have a, the context that you guys have for that, but yeah, I, it's tricky. but I will say, uh, what was, what was, what was born to run? It was like 20, 21, or, on yeah. this list. 21. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what 70 spots different for me, that doesn't feel, that doesn't feel accurate. Like honestly mm-hmm. born to run is it's great. Um, it's got some amazing singles on it and it's, and it, I know it, it, it carries some weight just because of like, it's got that teenage sort of rock and roll runaway thing. But I feel like this album has a lot more depth and meaning. And so you see it jump up, what, 59 spots from, from before. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the future it would actually jump up more and born to run might, I I don't know. I just think they should be closer together, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. I agree with, I agree with those statements. Um, I'm not just saying this because of the jump we see in the in the ranking of this particular album, but because of the tone of it and and just the way the tone of our culture has changed in the last decade. Um, I think it makes sense that this has more relevance now and more people would be claiming that it has had an impact on on their life or on their musical taste on their on their musical expression as well. Um, we're We're seeing that more that exactly what we talked about that that authenticity more than just you know um i want to just take a step back we we talked about the other albums there's four albums four bruce Springsteen albums that are no longer on the rolling stone list that used to be and we saw a lot of artists where it was almost like rolling stone said well we have to put every beatles album on so just slot them in. We have to put every Stones <laughs> album. Okay, who are some other major artists in our? Okay, the Boss. Well, okay, let's slot all the Boss albums in. Um, and I'm not. I make. I'm making this up. I'm not saying that this is actually what happened. So don't. <laughs> nobody call Rolling Stone and and tattle on me. But um, although uh, we, we would be willing to interview them if they want to come on the program, <laughs> I think we might be a <laughs> if that happened. But. Um, uh, we saw a lot of that in the first list, even into this into the 2012 list, where it seemed that there was just this, well, here are the foundational artists, so let's get them represented. Let's get their whole catalog represented. Then we get into this new list, and it seems that they were cutting a lot of that, where you see artists that had maybe eight albums or six albums, now they're pared down to only a few. And the ones that are left are very significant, but um, it's almost like, or for me, I felt like, all the albums were there just for the sake of them all being there. And I see that even with the Bruce Springsteen albums um, that aren't, um, yeah, four, four of them. Like the river's not even on anymore. Um, so if, for example, if this spawned the Heartland genre, or if this is one that is really inspiring musicians today or in the last decade, then it makes perfect sense uh, that it's bumped up. So um, I don't know if I necessarily need this one to be higher because if it's here because of those reasons, then then it makes perfect sense that it's here. And it makes perfect sense that it moved the, the, the rate that it did. Um, 
I'm I'm actually more surprised that uh, Born in the USA dropped so much um, because that's as much as you know it kind of hinges a lot on kind of one or two songs and kind of the 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 as you said the pinnacle of that subgenre um, it's still very significant so it's it's interesting um, yeah. it's hmm. interesting but uh, yeah I'm I'm okay with it here and and I'm more interested in the in the movement of it than where actually it is. That's what interests me about this one. I don't think I've ever said that before, but that's what interests me about this one. I'm feeling a little bit like your surprise when I said that I liked Bowie's Hunky Dory more than any of the albums uh, we've listened to so far, Mike, because... Uh, I was. Yeah, I did not <laughs> expect you to say that this evening. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, we, yeah. Ben, after, after 40, after for like an old married couple, after 40 years, we can still, still surprise, surprise each other now and then. It's still full <laughs> of surprises. <laughs> I still love Born to Run, and maybe, uh, it, yeah, like I said earlier, my default is to something a bit more upbeat, poppy, and, and radio-friendly. So it doesn't surprise me to see them ordered in this way. I can't quite fully comprehend... Um, why the other Springsteen albums fall in the way that they do or raise in the way that they do. And it'll be really fun. I think to walk through those together to see what's going on here. Exactly. We didn't say this when we went through all the other albums on this list that he's lost, uh, three out of what one at one point, I guess his high point was seven. seven. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's had eight total on the, uh, multitude of lists. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's been dinged a little bit harder than some of the other artists where you were saying, Mike, like, let's just slot them all in here. Um, I, boy, we are really, we continue to go back to this point that um, authenticity mm-hmm. really does make something great. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, like darkness deserves to be higher um, because right. it is so yeah. authentic and raw. Um, that would be the one reason I would say it really should be, a lot higher on this list. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm surprisingly fairly content with it right here. Maybe by the time we get through all these Bruce albums, I'll be like, why is it at 91? It really should be somewhere else. But <laughs> for tonight, at least uh, I'll control my, my feelings and just say it's fine. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You saw Bruce recently in the E Street Band. So where was yeah. that? Uh, got to see Bruce. This was actually my third show. Uh, okay. And he and the band were here uh, in State College in- um, about six weeks ago. Did, did they play Beaver Stadium or where did they play? Uh, no, it's uh, indoors at, next door to Beaver Stadium at the Bryce Jordan Center. It's uh, where, we, where a lot of concerts uh, are held here in State College. Is that like, is that is that the basketball stadium, I guess? It is. Okay. Yep. It is. Yeah. And it was a sold out show. Okay. And I actually uh, had decided not to go because um, the ticket prices were just probably a little bit beyond what I could justify. And um, it started around two hundred dollars, right, for the nosebleeds. 
Yeah, and you there was like this whole Ticketmaster thing with getting in a queue, and then uh, by the time I was able to buy it. Tickets. I, I actually got into the queue and got my number came up, but it, they were going to be like three hundred dollars or more each, I think, and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, so I had decided not to. And then a, fr- a friend of ours um, had somebody canceled, and so they were like, "Do you want to go?" And I was like, "I was like, absolutely." So shout out to my friend Liz. Thanks for that, Liz. <laughs> oh, wow. um, uh, so that was amazing, and it was it was a it was a really great show. Uh, you know, one of the things about Bruce is that he does prove it, you know, like we, we've talked about <laughs> right. proving it. Yeah. And, 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 and the way he does that is not so much in the studio as he does when you see him in person. Um, when I saw Bruce the first time in 2014 in Hershey in a huge arena. OK. Um, and I was very skeptical. I'm like, I can barely see that guy up there. This is going to be a terrible experience. <laughs> he made it feel like he was I, it was just me and him in the room. Wow. And uh, (laughs) and I was hooked. Like from that moment, I was just like, this is incredible. This guy wants to connect with me. He wants me to be here. I can tell. And he wants there to be a connection between us. And he works hard to earn that and to show that. And um, and that's still there. I mean, he's he's older now. He's he's uh, he's not. I was telling Ben, he doesn't talk as much in between the songs. I don't think he goes off script quite as much. Um, And he didn't stage dive this time. Um, you know, but, uh, but the energy is still there and the connection, the most important thing is the connection is still there. And so it felt like we got in there and I blinked and it was over, you know, that's what it felt like, but it was over, I think it was over three hours long. I mean, it's still, it was an incredible show. Wow. Was there anything that really surprised you in that show that you didn't expect? (laughs) Not really. Um, one of my favorite things about Bruce uh, Live is that they are constantly tinkering with the set list. So it's okay. not like some, some artists where you go and um, it's the same it's the same set list they played in Cleveland and in Cincinnati and in Chicago. You know, it's not like that with Bruce. Typically, right. you're you're going to come and you're going to get the same opening few songs and usually the same closing few songs, but the middle can be real different. Um, hmm. But this show, this tour. He didn't do as much changing, and I think again part okay. of that might be just the age of everybody yeah, in the yeah, band and everything, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so that surprised me a little that it was a little bit more on script than what I was used to. Um, but none, but still, I guess in another way, I was surprised that even at his age, just how hard he works and how yeah. fit he is, and how oh, yeah. um, how much energy he exudes. Uh, I mean, I'm 47, and I feel like I'd be done after the first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so that surprises me, and it shows me that it's coming from it's physical, but it's also spiritual. Like it's just coming from a deep place in him. There was some question about whether or not they'd play, right? Because they had canceled a few shows yeah. prior just to illness, right? Um, and there were some folks wondering if the less conversational Bruce was due to that uh, that recent illness. They were like, okay, let's just plow through. <laughs> wow, it could be, it could um, be, yeah. But, but you also said, Greg, as we were talking before we got on tonight, um, yeah, maybe he is just getting to that age that we, we better hurry up and see him before he just decides, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I'm done. So, yeah, he, he's aged better than Elvis so far. So for we'll sure. cross our fingers. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Oh, wow. Um, well, guys, this has been just an absolute uh, yeah. uh, pleasure. 
Um, Greg, thank you so much for sharing this time with us. This, this is, it's really been great. I know I've said it a few times, but um, we're just delighted to have you and, and to hear your passion about Bruce Springsteen and about this music. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Really, I appreciate it. Absolutely. And you'll have to come over sometime. We'll, we'll pull out some Bruce vinyl and uh, we'll just <laughs> sip a beer and talk about what makes it great. Let's do it. Let's give, do it for sure. Give me a ten-hour warning, guys, and I'll be there. I'll drive, I'll drive down. Six, Mike, it's only six. You, you can make it. Oh I man, it. you haven't driven with my family, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, uh, on that note, Ben, tell us what we got coming up next week. Yeah, um, it feels like I don't, I don't know what it is, but we've we've almost experienced whiplash with the uh, the way that this list has been of late the albums just shift genre like so wildly um uh, up next here at number 92 is uh axis bold as love by the Jimi hendrix experience and um boy it's it's gonna be an interesting thing to go into some 60s experimental uh psychedelic rock uh after coming out of this uh heartland rock here (laughs) heartland rock uh that is certainly not um yeah so and neither uh, of us take acid. So we're going to have a fairly sober <laughs> reflection on this music. <laughs> well, it's a week away, so we'll see. We'll uh, see. <laughs> anyways, um, thank you, Greg. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. Uh, thank you, though, listening um, at home. We really appreciate it. Until next time, we hope you continue to be well. We hope you take care of yourselves and those around you, those close to you. And of course, we certainly hope you'll join us again right here on the Sound Logic Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.